Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. We have a three-module digital course that will show you how to build a profitable architecture firm, and we want you to have it for free. Gain access to profit for small firm architects right now at entrearchitect.com slash free course. Entree Architect Podcast, episode 116. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Leadership is about visions and ideas and being able to clearly communicate that knowledge to an audience. And that audience may be your small staff of three, or it may be on a stage in a room of 3,000. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, I welcome back futurist and professional speaker David Zock, and we chat about how to successfully prepare and present your ideas as an architect. This episode of the Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. Learn more at freshbooks.com slash architect. David Zock, welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's, uh, it's great to have you back. It's, um, it's, you are a futurist. You know, yes, if, if you were one of my one of my early episodes here at Entree Architect Podcast, you were episode eighteen. We're at one hundred and sixteen right now. Wow! Um, the last time we spoke was was uh, over two years ago. The last time we spoke on on the podcast, anyway. Um, and uh, and you're a futurist, and you're an, you're an architecture and design enthusiast. Yes, I um, am. Which I love. You uh, you know a lot about architecture and a lot about design. Uh, and you are a professional speaker, and that's mm-hmm. that's really what I I invited you to talk about today here on the podcast. Uh, we met in Chicago at AIAS Forum while you were speaking. You were actually mm-hmm. not not there to speak; you were there to watch. But uh, I think what happened is that that the keynote speaker 
um, could not make it. Something happened. There was a massive snowstorm or something, and they called upon your services. <laughs> well, that morning I was actually leaving because I had a cold, and, and Joshua said, where are you going? And I said that. He goes, no, get better because you're keynoting tonight. <laughs> And it was it was fantastic. You uh, with I assume very little preparation and and really no notice. Um, you stepped up on the stage and and great told some great stories and and did a fantastic presentation. Um, and that's where you and I met, mm-hmm. and and where I learned about the, your skills. You inspired me to 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 continue to speak. I spoke at that was that was the first time I ever spoke on stage uh, at that forum. Really, because I, I praised you, your talk in my talk. You did, yeah, and that and that gave me lots of confidence and lots of of, of courage. Um, you know, you you and I have spoken a little bit offline, and you told me that 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 this doesn't come naturally to you. This whole no. idea of uh, standing on a stage in front of two thousand people and presenting something interesting. Uh, and and doing a great job at it that it's not something that you were born to do um could you talk about that a little bit well it it may be that i was born to do it right but it wasn't an immediate or sort of natural skill and there's that old saying be yourself it's not like you've got a choice so some people many of your listeners you know they maybe people want them to speak but if they're if they're if it's not a natural talent if it's not what they should be doing, then maybe they shouldn't. I wanted to, but I very distinctly recall one of the first speeches I gave was at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee to a school of education class. And I was sitting on the edge of the of this table talking to maybe 25, um, these were um, practicing teachers, so they were back for their masters. But I was sitting on the edge of the table and my leg was wrapped around the leg of the table because my foot was shaking so much. <laughs> but it was a desire to speak. It was a desire to be able to share ideas. So through practice, through like I was, I, I did um, Toastmasters. I also joined the National Speakers Association. And there are tricks you learn along the way in terms of, of like how not to be nervous. You know, so a real quick, example is when people get nervous they tend to breathe from their upper chest so their chest kind of rises and falls as they're as they're as they're speaking what you need to do is you you draw your breath down into your belly into the diaphragm so if you breathe from your diaphragm it's almost like it it releases endorphins it's a natural calming agent or process so if you're if you're speaking and feeling nervous just remember to Breathe a little deeper. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a simple trick, but it works. Right, and that's that's something you learned while you were educating yourself on how to do. Sure. Speaking. Yeah. Um. So. When, so, it, what sort of in? What was it inside you that made you feel that way? I mean, if you were you were naturally an introvert, and I think a, a lot of architects can relate to you. I think a, many, many architects uh, are are introverts. I am an introvert, and, and I've trained myself. I haven't gone through the formal training that you have, something I'd like to do, mm-hmm. um, but I've, I've intentionally forced myself in order to be influential and, and inspire others to do what I want them to, I've learned to do what I need to do. Um, mm-hmm. What was it inside you that said, this is what I want to do, and, and I'm going to intentionally focus on this. Well, and I am a fairly strong introvert, and like on a Myers-Briggs, I definitely score that way. But then I started scoring as an extrovert, and my brother, who was a career counselor and trained in that whole Myers-Briggs process, I asked him one time, how come I went from being an introvert to an extrovert, and now again, I'm testing as a, or scoring as an introvert, John said, oh, you've always been an introvert. You just trained yourself to be an extrovert, which is the term you used. Um, I, you know, I have an undergrad in political science and philosophy, and then a master's in studies of the future from the University of Houston. And it's an idea type of, you know, those are idea degrees. Yeah. And it's all about sharing ideas and helping people think through things. 
So I had to be able to articulate that. And the other thing is when you have such an unusual background, people are curious about it. And I started getting asked to do speeches. Um, and then I probably did 10, 15 of them. And then without warning, somebody gave me an honorarium. <laughs> Got a check for like 40 bucks. <laughs> You know, but it it was. I've always been a little bit of the class clown, so I enjoy entertaining people. But I I think the big part of it is I enjoy sharing ideas. I enjoy helping people think a little deeper, and that in essence is what I think an architect needs to do with their clients. Is Architects are visionaries, and I've, you know, I've been on the AIA National Board, I've been on the Wisconsin AIA Board, and my experience is architects are futurists, but in a lot more practical ways, Yeah. in that they're building something, they're helping to design and build something that is supposedly going to last anywhere from 10, 15 years to 100 years or more. They have to be thinking about the future but the ability to, to articulate that vision and not simply tell the client what the vision is, but to help draw it out of them. You know, what, what do they want for the future? Yeah, I, I think presentation is a critical part of what we do as architects. And, and I think many of us are not very good at it. You know, it's surprisingly, as, as architects being trained in design and trained in presentation, it, it we many of us fall back on the PowerPoint templates, you know, and start using uh, bullet points and lots of text and, and do it last minute and don't spend the time necessary to, to learn presentation. Um, but I think it's a critical skill at being a successful architect. And that's why I wanted to bring you on today sure. to sort of give us some, some steps on how to present well, how to prepare for a presentation and some of the things that we need to to be aware of while we're doing that. So, so um, maybe we can start with that. Maybe uh, what are some, some basic steps in the preparation before you actually put together the, the presentation part of it? What are some things that we need to go through maybe mentally and maybe in preparation, uh, maybe the research part of it? What are some of the things that we need to do um, to prepare for pr presentations? Well, I think a good place to start is by going out and buying two books. One is Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds. And then as an alternate model, but very similar, Nancy Duarte wrote a book called uh, Slideology. And what those books are about is if you're gonna use the likes of PowerPoint or on a Mac, Keynote, which I think is in some ways a more elegant program, is how do you design the presentation of information? I, because I've gone around and spoken at a lot of architecture schools, and I was at, then because I would do that, I would then also participate in crits. And I was at a certain school that will go unnamed, and the student did a very interesting, very creative presentation, but he hadn't tested the technology. Uh, in the room, the lights were either all on or all off. And so they had the lights off, I couldn't see the person. Uh, the technology kept stuttering and the, the sound was too loud. And when it was my term, turn to, to respond, you know, I, I mentioned all these things and I said, you know, you've got fascinating creativity, but I went through all the things that kind of, you know, were frustrating. And then I looked around the room and said, I'm one of the oldest people in the room. So I'm the guy with the checkbook and you've ticked me off. Why would I write a check to you? <laughs> and one of the professors stood up in the middle of my crit which I, I'm assuming is bad manners. And he said, we teach design, not sales, <laughs> which is another way of saying we don't really teach design. Yeah. You know, and it's not, I wasn't asking him to, to be into sales, but it was, you know, if he cannot meet me where I am. So it's knowing that the technology works. So for instance, if I'm doing a, a presentation, it's written into the contract that I either meet with the AV people the night before or at least an hour before I go on stage. And when I go there, my best friend in the whole room is the AV people. I want to make sure they're happy because if they're not happy, nobody is gonna be happy. Right. 
but it's you know like and it's it's things like I have so I have a MacBook and it has the mini DVI adapter you plug in well when I travel I carry two of those with me one's packed in my suitcase and the other one is in a, is in my little carry-on I have two power adapters I have a print out of the slide deck I have a um, an output of a PDF of the slide deck on a flash drive. And, and you ever hear the phrase paranoid? Who told you I was paranoid? <laughs> you know, it's so I'm, you know, I'm paid to be a professional. I'm sh I am paid to show up fully prepared to do my job. Well, technology is not always reliable. So having those backups, having those redundancies allows for any kind of contingency. And believe me, through the years, I've done over 1,500 presentations through the years. There have been times when I have had to use each of those, you know, one time the adapter that I had no longer worked for some reason. I don't know why, but I had a backup. And number one, it really impresses the client. Um, but you know, you're there to do a job and you're there to look at all the angles of what could go wrong. Not that it's going to, but you are prepared. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's the, the thing that you said about the professor saying that it's not about sales um, lights me up, you know, that, <laughs> that, that because that's what I'm all about, because it, it is about sales. Everything we do is about sales. Every every design we do and every presentation we give, whether it's a presentation on stage or whether it's a presentation to a client in a room, you're selling that idea. You're selling your design to whomever you're trying to convince to, to go ahead with it. We're trying to, to, to convince the guy with the checkbook <laughs> to say yeah. yes. Um, but may, Mark, maybe it's the, the, it's the term sales that turns people off yes. and the automatic assumption that I'm being sold something. And that's why it's important that in terms of like doing your research to, if you're going to be presenting to a firm, do a little due diligence, find out who's going to be in the audience, find out the issues that went before who's been here because you know, you're checking them out. They're also checking you out. And so knowing like, for instance, um, you know, I've had situations where, you know, right before I go on, the the person introducing me starts out by saying, let's have a moment of silence for so-and-so who died yesterday. <laughs> and, you know, by not knowing that. So I always ask ahead of time, is there anything that has been disruptive, anything that I need to know to better understand who's in my audience? And the thing I always ask, the two questions when I'm talk, prepping for a presentation, I always ask about hopes and fears because those deal with the future. And I phrase it as what gets your, gets your people up early in the morning because they're excited to get working on it or, or and what keeps them up late at night because they're worried about it. And by having those two perspectives, I can then better select my topics to, because I want to leave my audiences with a sense of practical optimism, but also with a sense of wonder. And wonder and optimism are marvelous things for architects to also help their clients think about, believe it. Because is there anything more optimistic than building a building? Because it's investment, it, it takes a while, and then it's going to last. You know, yeah. architecture is the ultimate optimistic profession, I think. Yeah, and, and I think that's why it's so important to, to do that preparation and to know your audience um, and to know, know your, your subject, that mm -hmm. it's not about memorizing a speech. It's about knowing, yeah. knowing your subject, knowing your presentation, because what you just said is, is that it, this may be a conversation you're having with, with somebody minutes before you go on stage. Yes. And so you may need to, to adjust the way you present your idea and present the way you're going to, to communicate your, your thoughts to this audience. And if it's a memorized speech, 
<laughs> then you have no flexibility. You just say what you've memorized. But if you know your subject and you are passionate about it and, and you can adjust, then you can adjust what the way you present the same idea from a different perspective. Yes. And anybody who knows me knows that I like quoting G.K. Chesterton. And one of the lines that I pull into when I do a presentation on presentation skills is the line, uh, break the conventions, keep the commandments in the sense of learn what are the rules of doing a presentation. So it's know your outline, know exactly what's in there, but the more you know it and the more you're, you know the audience, the more you know the context, then you can kind of, you know, break the conventions in that you can be a little bit more casual. You don't have to be so obsessive. Um, I did a talk on Saturday with the Aluminum Extrusion Council. <laughs> and I always ask, all right, so is there anybody in the room who doesn't work on a computer? Because in this day and age, everybody works on a computer. And I, you know, I kind of like play that up a little bit. But there was a young woman in the room who raised her hand. She doesn't work on a computer. And I've never had that before. So I sort of broke rank. I, I kind of looked at her and I walked over and I pulled up a chair and I sat down at her table and I said, okay, tell me about this. And we had great banter, but I'm presenting in the midst of the, of the audience. And the audience is fascinated. And it just, and the client was thrilled because I sort of broke that, that I think that like what's called the fourth wall or something like yeah, that, yeah. that I became part of the audience and it was a, it was a personal conversation, but if you can break out of the expectations and that is, that's an element of fascination. That's an element of curiosity because I really wanted to know how did she do that? Um, and it brings up, you and I chatted beforehand just a little bit a book that every single person listening to your podcast needs to go out and buy is the book Curious by Ian Leslie. In there, he points out that we are losing our curiosity. And because we're losing our curiosity, we're not very interesting anymore. If you ask a question of Google, Google answers the question before you're finished asking it. And what it does is it has this big mound of information. And you ask the question, it drills a hole in that pile, reaches in, grabs the answer, pulls it out, never touches the side, and hands you this answer in isolation. Well, when we look up things, when we have to research, we touch all sorts of things that aren't necessarily connected to the topic. But normally, we would investigate, we would explore and go, oh, that's interesting. Well, when you take interest in something other than the singular topic, you become interesting. So you have to, in terms of being a good presenter, you have to be interested and you have to be interesting. But curiosity connects things. And the ability of for us to connect people, things, and ideas, especially people, things, and ideas we didn't think were connectable, that's where wealth comes from. That's where prosperity comes from. Architects have less excuse for being boring than any other occupation out there. But if they're only focused on the bottom line, if they're not thinking about the horizon, if they're not thinking in multiple dimensions, they're not going to be interesting. Clients want architects that are interested and interesting. I see that with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, when I, cause I have, I have a 14 year old, an 11 year old and an eight year old. And, you know, they'll ask me, you know, a question about a certain topic and we go to Google like everybody mm -hmm. does today. And we look for the, for the question, but they always want more. They always want to, to dig more. And my middle son, um, my 11 year old, he, he locks onto a subject and he wants to learn everything there is to learn about it. Right now he's into building uh, crossbows. Oh, really? He's built his own crossbow. He's watching a video and he learned about how to build a crossbow. And that's leading to other types of, 
of medieval history and medieval weapons and all the other things that go with that. The deeper he gets into it, the more he knows about it. It's mm -hmm. really interesting to see that happen. And, and with, with research for our presentations, that same thing can happen, that if you don't just focus on the answer, but look to be curious uh -huh. and look beyond the answer, um, that answer gets bigger, it gets wider, and you have more, more depth in being able to present that, that topic. Yeah, and um, I use a quotation from uh, Stephen Jobs, who says that, you know, curiosity or creativity is about connecting things. And he says an awful lot of people just don't have rich enough experiences, so they don't have enough dots to connect. Well, that's essential in this day and age. And, um, and I forget who said it, but he, but he said every, every child starts school as a question mark and leaves it as a period which is a condemnation of what has become traditional education in that it becomes a whittling away, an erosion of curiosity. So with your, with your, with your kids, encourage that curiosity. That, that to me is a better sort of um, promise of employability through time is when they are curious and understand that everything ultimately connects out there. Yeah, I, I'm inspired by it. When I when I see that happen, it reminds me to act more like a kid, to, to think more like, like that. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to FreshBooks for their support as a platform sponsor of Entree Architect. Because as a platform sponsor, FreshBooks has provided funding and support for our overall mission here at Entree Architect, they recognize the need for small firms like us to build better businesses in order to be better architects. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use accounting software designed to help us small firm owners get organized, save time, and get paid faster. It takes care of invoicing, expense tracking, estimating, reporting, and it all happens out on the cloud so you have access to your information from anywhere that you have access to the internet. And I use FreshBooks for my own small firm, 5Cat Studio, and my favorite feature of the FreshBooks software is sending my invoices by email and allowing my clients to pay by credit card. When FreshBooks says that you'll get paid faster, they're not kidding. With the convenience of clicking a button and paying by credit card, many of my clients pay now as soon as they receive their invoice. And for those clients who don't pay right away, FreshBooks automatically sends them a reminder of the balance due at an interval that I set. So once I send an invoice, I can go back to being an architect and I don't need to chase down any of my clients. And Tim Lee of FreshBooks will show you how easy it is to send invoices by email on our exclusive video series, Tim and I produced exclusively for the Entree Architect community. Check out this free video series at entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks video. There's no catch. There's no email. It's completely free. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks video and you will get the videos right away. There's three of them. Shows you everything you need to know about getting started. And then go to freshbooks.com slash architect, freshbooks.com slash architect and sign up for your free 30-day trial and give it a try. It's free. I suggest you just send one invoice and see what happens. That's how I got started. Just send one invoice to one client and see how it works. And when I did that and I got paid much faster than usual, I signed up for the rest of it and I set up my whole my whole account in FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com slash architect for your free 30-day trial. And be sure to enter Entree Architect into how did you hear about us section. What are some other rules that we need to follow that sort of uh, will, will help us get to that successful presentation? Okay, number of things. Number one, you will oftentimes hear people say, well, you know, if you're nervous, start with a joke. Trust me, do not start with a joke because I have heard many presentations where they start with a joke and it has nothing to do with the topic. I don't use jokes, but I do use humor. And unfortunately, I have a slightly dry sense of humor. But, and so you, you have to be cautious with humor, but you can use humor because if people don't laugh, you're still making a point. You're still connecting things. 
one of the best things I've ever done was I took improv theater training. And the essential thing with, with improv theater is like, if I toss something at you, Mark, you know, you, you might react with sort of a surprise or shock. And so it's what you're doing going, yeah, but improv theater trains you to say yes. And so that if something gets tossed at you, you can flip it. You can respond. It's learning to think on your feet and Trust me, I did this maybe 10 years ago or so. So I've been professionally speaking for about 15 years. Improv theater training scared the hell out of me <laughs> because it was all new to me. And you inevitably have to say and do embarrassing things, but you're in sort of an environment of trust. You're in with a bunch of other people who are scared. But it, it's just that, that it trains you about being spontaneous. Like, for instance, so an example is when that young lady said, I don't work on a computer, rather than not knowing what to do, I just took it and went, okay, let's run with that. So that's a, a, a good thing. Um, there is a one time early in my profession, heard from a professional speaker that you show up fully prepared to be no place else. So with your client. You don't look at your phone. You don't think about where else you want to be. You think about being with them and giving them your full attention. Attention is the scarcest thing in the economy. Because wherever your attention goes, that's where your money either comes from or goes to. Um, so if you give the client your attention, you're really kind of honoring them. And, and that's an important thing uh, to do. Um, I find that asking the client questions is, you know, you want to draw them out. They always, you know, you're, when you're doing a presentation, you have all these things you want to share with them. But along the way, it really you have to realize ultimately it's about them and how do you draw them out? Um, I believe it is the, the, the Latin root of education is educate, which means to draw out what is already there. So if you're in an educational situation, you have to be able to pull things from them and being able to connect with them. What about some of the um, you had mentioned before about knowing knowing your audience? What about being uh, prepared in, in the sense of what you're wearing and, uh, and being prepared for for, you know, from a, from a clothing point of view, knowing knowing who you're speaking with and what you're what you're wearing? OK, Mark Twain once said clothing makes the man. He said naked people have had very little influence over society. <laughs> You dress for comfort. And the point is, it's not your comfort, it's their comfort. That's a good point, yep. And the other thing that I've noticed, and not to offend anybody in your listening audience, but women are better dressers than men. If you're a guy, particularly if you're a younger person, you know, through the years, I would take girlfriends or, or just women friends with me when I would go and shop and they would love to dress me up, but I learned from them how to present. And there was, it used to be a men's shop in Milwaukee here that in terms of, of your, how you, you know, learning how to dress, you pay just enough attention and then you forget about it. So it, you know, what I take out of that is put enough attention, but not too much attention. And that is a, a strange thing with architects sometimes. And although I'd found it mostly with, with architecture academia, with the sense of dressing in all black, uh, you know, there's an expectation there, but I haven't really found that in the general population of architects. But, um, you know, and it's become a more casual world, but don't take that too far. 
you know, you have to, you have to know what's going to make them comfortable. So in my mind, I always try to dress near what my audience is going to dress like. So for instance, this, this weekend when I was speaking, speaking to the aluminum extruders, um, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> It's it, it's an entrepreneurial. It's it, it's in some ways a mom and pop industry. So I wore a pair of nice black jeans, a sport coat, and a white button-down shirt, but no tie. And it was on a Saturday. But if it is um, like um, back in in February, I spoke to a an education uh, facilities group and technology. So these were people from the largest school districts around the country. And I wore a tie because it, it just knowing the audience and those are subtle things Yeah. and you learn along the way, but I, I try not to overdress when I'm presenting. Yeah. I, it, it, I think it becomes distracting from your present, from your presentation that if you, you're either overdressed or you're underdressed and yes. people notice that, like what you said is, is that you want, you want to dress for comfort, for the comfort of the, of your audience that when they see you, that doesn't become part of the, of the, of the thing that they're focused on because you have a message that you're giving. You don't want them distracted from that message, uh, paying attention to the clothing that you wear. If you show up and it's a, and it's a group that's all in jeans and t-shirts and you show up in a, in a, in a suit with a tie, you're going to look out of place. But you also, you know, you can ha you can do that, but you have to be incredibly comfortable in that however you are presenting yourself. And, it, and it's, you know, that notion of be yourself, it's not like you have a choice. So being ultimately comfortable so you can show up. You know, I've had numerous situations where the audience wasn't what I expected. You know, one time I was, I was promised an audience of like 150 and there were three people. <laughs> and so, you know, I just sort of threw out the notes unbuttoned my coat, sat on the edge of the table and just chatted with them. You know, you, 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 you respond to the situation, but if you're going to be doing a presentation, you realize that in essence, they're going to be staring at you for an hour. So you need to pay attention and having somebody else beforehand who helps you, you know, how do I look? Is this a good way of, of doing it? And, you know, look for, you know, people in the firm who you look, you recognize as knowing how to dress and just asking advice. People love to give advice like that. When I, when I heard you speak in Chicago, um, one of the things that, that I took away from that was how much, how, how a, a great storyteller you are, hmm. that it's not just necessarily a presentation on facts and, 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 uh, so what are some. What are some elements of a good story? What are some things that, that we can uh, be intentional about to make sure that our presentation it may be, you know, presenting an, a building to a client? Uh, is it important to present it in a way that you're, you're using story for that? Is that, an, is that a necessity? And if so, how do, how do we do that? That's, that's a really good question. And I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Um, but I have read up a lot on story writing, on, on screenwriting. I've helped a friend with writing stories, and he's a filmmaker. Um, one of the, so two things that I do in particular, I do mind mapping. So if I am mapping out a presentation, you can do an outline, which is very linear. But by mind mapping, where you have you know, a cluster of ideas and you, you show how they branch together. So I will do a big mind map and only some of it will enter into the presentation. But what I've done is I've got all this sort of collateral material in my brain. And so when I'm presenting, I will read the audience as it were. And if I am getting good feedback, so it means you have to look at the audience. You have to read verbal expressions. You have to see their body language. I will continue down one path a little bit longer just because I know they're kind of getting into that. 
Um, I also do um, sort of cross-impact analysis, where I'll take the various topics throughout my presentation, and then I'll see how do those impact each other? How do those connect? So one, mind mapping basically sends it outward. Cross-impact analysis sends it inward. Mind mapping, I understand. I mean, mind mapping, you have you have sort of a topic in the middle, and then that breaks out into other topics that relate to it, then other topics that relate to that. There's some good software for that. You can also use yeah. uh, in Slideology, uh, Nancy Duarte talks about using post-it notes and mm -hmm. just putting them on a table and writing them and then being able to move them around and kind of put together the initial ideas for her presentation that way. Um, the, the, what was the other piece? Cross connection? Is that what you said? Uh, cross impact analysis. Cross impact analysis. Could you, how, how does that work? Well, what I do is I'll take four separate ideas that might be covered in the presentation. So on one corner, I put millennials. In another corner, I put 3D printing. In another corner, I put um, global trade. In another one, I put um, portable technology, you know, handheld devices. And then I'll go, all right, how do those work? So for instance, this young lady doesn't have a computer, but she clearly has a phone and she clearly uses it a lot. So, you know, that's the connection there. Um, but you just, and it isn't with mind mapping, with cross impact analysis, it's not to lay it all out. It's not to have absolute answers. Right. It's to just put ideas that might be related. So you have more comfort, you know, with the topic. That's the ultimate thing. And, you know, when you saw me in Chicago, well, that I had, um, I had keynoted with AIS. I think that was my fourth or fifth time. And I had become very comfortable with that crowd. And the reason I was down there was I was coaching the candidates, uh, you know, doing, doing their presentations. Um, so I knew that audience far better than most. So I was more comfortable in doing a extemporaneous 20 minute talk than I would have if I was sp speaking to uh, the aluminum extruders council. Right. Right. That's, that's a, those, those techniques are interesting and that, and that, and that it, it sounds like that it's important to do both, to do the mind mapping, to sort of get, flush out all the ideas yes. and then the, the, the cross impact analysis, cross impact analysis. It'll be in the show notes, guys, just go to the show notes, episode 116. It'll all be there. Um, and that's where you kind of take all that idea and you say, okay, how does this all relate? And how, mm -hmm. where, where are the connections? And that's and you prep yourself that way. That's interesting to, yeah. to go through that exercise. Um, and that's a good way to absorb the material in order to, to know it and to get passionate about it and to, and to just know the subject. So it's not a memorized speech. It's a knowledge uh, of, of a topic. And then you just go up and talk about that topic in a, mm -hmm. in a prepared way. Very, very interesting. Um, do you have any other resources that uh, anybody might want to review? The Slideology is excellent. It's actually on my night table. I look at it often. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> no, I got a lot of books over there. That's one of them. Actually, just just recently, I've pulled that one out again and started looking at it again. Um, I have Presentation Zen, but I have not yet uh, reviewed that book. So it's, it's. I like that one. I like Presentation Zen better than Slideology, in part because uh, Gar Reynolds lives in Japan and his whole packet, his whole concept is very much Japanese design. It's simple, it's elegant, it's understated. And that does bring to mind, there is a, a small book that many architects are familiar with, In Praise of Shadows by Junichiro Tanazaki. And it was written in the mid thirties and it's a like it's like 30 pages long. And one of the one of the quotations I pulled out of that, he said, without shadows, there can be no beauty. And I pull that into a presentation idea in that you don't have to tell everything. What essential comes to the surface and what maybe is left in the shadows? Uh, then another book that, that we've discussed, uh, Susan Cain wrote a book called Quiet. And it's all about the difference between introverts and extroverts. 
in terms of how we interact, how we think. And uh, I've, I've only read part of it, but I've listened to it. So I have an audible account. And I mean, it, it's just one of those fascinating things because it helps you understand you. It helps you understand others and how to. She talks a lot about how does, for instance, an introvert work with extroverts? How do they present? How do they share ideas? Yeah, that that's going on my wish list because <laughs> <laughs> that takes us right back to the beginning of where we started this conversation about how we're both introverts uh -huh. um, and with a necessity to be extroverts in order to do what we do. Yes. Um, and that sounds like a book that will will certainly uh, be inspiring to help us do more of that. David, um, your world on the internet is davidzock.com, and that's Z-A-C-H. Um, yes. You're on Twitter, at David Zock. Anywhere else that uh, our audience could hunt you down and say hello? On, on Pinterest, I guess. Okay. Uh, I, I am in the midst of, I am getting rid of my website and, and gonna convert it into a blog. And it's just waiting for someone with technical talent to polish the edges. But I'm, I'm like a lot of people, every once in a while, I want to reinvent myself, reinvent how I present myself yeah. and, and my ideas. And so that's the challenge that I'm playing with this year. And I use the term play because, you know, Carl Jung said play is the work of children. And the whole notion of it was when you approach things with a sense of play, it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes because you pick yourself up and try again. Um, an essential thing with the idea of presentations is don't try to be perfect. Try to be good first and then try to be unique. Don't try to be perfect. Be good and unique. That is wise advice. In that order. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, that's very wise advice because I mean, if you, if you try to be perfect, you'll never do it. No, you just will I mean, never, I mean, you will never pull the trigger. Well, it, but it also, it's kind of embarrassing because it's not in human nature to be perfect. Yeah. It is in our nature to be good. Yeah. And I think when you first start, you want to be perfect. And then yeah. after you do it a couple of times, you realize that you're actually better when you're not perfect. Well, you aim in the direction of perfection. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's also really good advice in terms of pick someone you really admire and try to copy them. And because we're imperfect, you'll never quite reach that. But if you try hard enough and you keep at it, you become a much better version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. David, thank you for your continued service to this profession of architecture. And and it's always fun. And thank you for your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Uh, happy to be here, Mark. Thanks. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode may be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 116. And check us out on iTunes, entrearchitect.com slash iTunes. I'd like you to subscribe over there. That'll help get the word out about what we're doing. The more subscriptions we have, the higher our rankings go, um, and more people get to hear about Entree Architect and what we're doing here. Also, leave a review or a rating, and I'd, I'd love to know what you think about the show, about this show, on, on every other show that we do. I'd love to uh, get your feedback, so leave a review over there at entrearchitect.com slash iTunes. And check out the Entree Architect Facebook group. It's a private group just for us architects, and you can find us at entrearchitect.com slash group. Sign up over there and, uh, and get into the conversation. And don't forget to pick up your access to our free three-module digital course, Profit for Small Firm Architects. Just head over to entrearchitect.com slash free course. It's free and it's full of knowledge. entrearchitect.com slash free course. And my name, as you might already know, is Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect. And I encourage you to go out there and share what you know. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.